Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars uh, study the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indian Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Daniel Freemeyer. Dan is a friend of mine and, uh, and an excellent Old Testament scholar, and we've had him on many times before, and he's uh, he always has a lot to contribute, and I really enjoy when he's on the show. Our text this week is Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 9. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 9. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already, so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice so that you can pass it along to friends on social media or private message or however you like, uh, so that they may benefit from it as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Daniel. Today we're looking at Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 9, and it begins with, My Lord, who is God, has given to me a word for my tongue, for discipling, for informing, and for helping the weary. We woke in the morning, and in the morning, woke for me an ear to hear like a disciple. My Lord, who is God, opened for me an ear, and I did not grow bitter. I did not turn back. My back I gave for striking. My cheeks for plucking my face for defacing and spitting. And my Lord, who is God, provided aid for me. And therefore, I was not humiliated. My face was as flint, and I know that I will not be shamed. Near is my bringer of justice, Who will dispute me? Let us stand together. Who is the master of making decrees? Let that one draw close to me. Look, my Lord, who is God, provides aid for me. Who is he who will wrong me? Look, all of them, like a garment, will wear out, and the moth will eat them. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. My Lord, who is God, you are the one who can aid us. You are the one who can give us a word, who can open our ears. And I pray that as you provide that word for us, wherever we may be listening, you would open our ears that we might hear and that you would help us to embrace that word and not turn back, not grow bitter, 
but recognize that you are a strong help in times of frustration, oppression, and busyness. We give you thanks and praise for the ways that you preserve us and how you have preserved your word. And we give you thanks and praise for what you will do in our midst, through us, and in our world. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for reading and for praying. And I, I believe sight translating the rhythms gave you away. Yeah. <laughs> so I like to do it from the original languages. No, I love it. I love it. I was especially struck by, especially when you get some of the word order emphasis. Uh, so I'll begin with that one. Just, we always start with, you know, you know, what, what's, what's kind of striking you fresh today, you know, just kind of initial observations. And one that, that jumped out to me was particularly your, your rendering of verse eight, the first line of verse eight, Near is my bringer of justice. I liked that. <laughs> um, especially because the word near is at the front of the sentence. Yes. Right? But, Kor- at, but at the mm-hmm. end is the drawing close. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, gosh. good, good, good. Right, verse so, 8, the end of verse 8. Oh, I see. Okay. So there is this proximity. And then that creates an inclusio. Yes. And so the whole thing's laid out in a... In an A B B A kind of pattern, just mm-hmm. within that verse, right? Right, but left out of that inclusio is to me. <laughs> ah, so you get the sense of the inclusio is nearness and closeness, and then the end of that is to me. Ah, so verse eight is there's a yod on the end, so it's my bringer of justice. Mm-hmm. But what he's near to is ambiguous at the opening moment, right? He's my bringer of justice, but what is he near to? But is he, he coming near, near to my enemy to smite is, them? Yeah, maybe. It, <laughs> is the That's bringer of, of justice it. near to the people? To oh, but at the very end, you see it's near and close to me. Which actually, that's one of those great things where, when you translate things with a particular twist, especially a twist that highlights creative word order in the original, mm. that's harder to do in English because There's of the a lot way of it. it yeah, here. and. When you do that, then you actually do get the sense, even if you go with a more standard translation. So I've got ESV out here. I've got Blankenship's I've got, uh, translation. I've uh, got Robert Alt- Alter's new oh. translation with commentary on the prophets. Get out. I didn't know his prophets was out. Did the whole Hebrew Bible. Uh, the prophets are out now. So that's a great Re- Relatively one. recent or have that been yes. done for a bit? This is, this is new. Because I've been a long, long follower. We, I just had... My brother on, for our listeners, would be two weeks ago, and we were using his David Story translation yes. of First and Second Samuel, and he, he and Which I are big wonderful. fans of Alter, and I've been using his Psalter and his David Story for just a long time, and his Torah in college, but I mean, in grad school, but this wasn't out yet, so I didn't know that he finished. I, I knew finished. he was planning on it, but I didn't know it was all out. Oh, fabulous. Well, anyway, but both of these do a more standard version, right? He who vindicates me is near. The one who will vindicate me is at hand. And that one's actually maybe a little too. But he who vindicates me or my vindicator is near. That It actually is ambiguous even there. It's just harder to notice. In the English. When you, when you throw yeah. the near on the front. Right. Um, and I think, if I'm remembering correctly, that uh, Alter 
actually does a, a really great job with this one where we'll go ahead and get it out. This is the time where it says, um, my vindicator is close. So that's a great, that's a great amb- ambiguity because he put a period there. My vindicator is close. Well, close mm. to what? Mm. Right. And that's what that you're waiting it. for. That highlights it. And oh then yeah. At you the can very totally end, put a period there. That'd be totally fine. And then at the very end is the me in that verse in Alter's translation. So I think he does a good job capturing that. Yeah. And it's one of those things where we're, we're talking translation. And I, I remember you maybe heard me quote this, but my Hebrew teacher at one point said, and it, was, it, was very, it, it impacted me very deeply uh, when he, he, he was almost quasi angry. He wasn't talking. He was, he was addressing somebody's question, but it was kind of for everyone. It's this exhortative moment. He never got like that. He was pretty, you know, even keel guy. He was like, never, ever use your knowledge of the original languages to make people trust their English, not trust their English Bibles. And I was like, oh, that's such a great warning to people who love studying the text. You know what I mean? Right. Because it's not about generating distrust. It's about slowing down. Yes. Because in process, you end up actually noticing that actually in any decent translation, it's there because just look at it. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? It's immediately a question. So, right. so it's open-ended, mm-hmm. you know, although I think my is be- the, the possessive is a superior translation because it's not a given that, that I'm the object of the vindication. And Alter right? isn't yeah. the only one who does this. There are other translations that are really good and capture this. That's yeah. why comparing different translations is a great way to go. Always. You'll always. see things that you never saw before. Actually, I, I've told most of my – I've said to teenagers before when they see me use my original, I'll say to them, you have to study the languages for many years and really put a lot of effort into it to – have any deeper insight than you could get from just comparing translations on your yeah. <laughs> phone and not to dissuade them from studying it. Cause it's, a, I, because then I immediately say, but it's a lot faster <laughs> if you study, but it only takes about six months of, of intensive study right. to then be able to do that with a kind of quickness. Right. That, so it's so much more efficient when you kind of know what's behind there. And there are but you free really can, tools available. You end up today. getting you end up getting to the same insight typically if you do a lot of translation comparing. I've found yes. Mo- nine times out of ten. I'm not again dissuading people from from studying the languages. It's more recognizing that not everyone's you know uh, wants to right. or feels uh, uh, that you know it's a good time you know. But all that just to say that translation comparing can get you. Quite a bit of the way. It just, as you say, it takes longer. But. And a good translation will do the same for verse four. Oh, okay. Where the, word, where the word tongue is the object of the verb, but it doesn't come, or sorry, where the word tongue is not the object of the verb, where word is the object oh, that yeah, the I Lord that gave, too. right? The Lord gave, and then it waits, and it talks about. Oh, I missed that. For a tongue, for discipling, for informing, for helping the weary. And it puts the word at the end, towards the end. Hmm. So a good translation will uh, highlight that. Let's take a look at that. So, wow. So how far, when does the tongue come in? I don't know. I forget. The The tongue's right away. Got it. So it says, my Lord, who is God, gave for me. And then it says, for a tongue. 
Got it. You're saying it's not the object. It's not oh. the object. It's not. It's not what is given. What's given is the word. The word. A word. And so then, when you do things like these, you know, with a word, I'm finding people using. They're trying to create basically two objects for the verb. Right. It's giving me a tongue, and it's got a word on it. But that kind of misses the emphasis. But the, the word emphasis. is for the tongue. How does alter do it? So alter does this by saying the master, the Lord has given me a skilled tongue, knowing how to proffer a word to okay. the weary. So, so that helps a little, at least a but little bit, but creating makes a, it look like I'm giving the word right in all of these. Sounds like I've got the word on my tongue to give to another, which, which creates, is true, but that's not the emphasis. The emphasis is God giving it. Yeah. To me, right. Because, and why I think that's an important emphasis is because the word is what the person uh, is hearing and deciding not to grow bitter about mm. and not to turn back that's from that bitter. word. Because it's on the tongue. Right. Is that why you chose that? That's, and and it's marah, which is... Uh, yeah. It, it's often used for food. Yeah. So. But again, a lot of... I've got rebellion. I've got uh, uh, defiance, rebellion. And that is the, the, the abstract extension. Right. Right. But I think the... Although, do you kind of follow the habit? Oh, go ahead. I cut you off. I think the, the uh, taste of bitterness can really be helpful and can really be useful. Oh, this my passage. heavens. Oh, when you said bitter, I'm like, it made more sense of the passage. Right. And because the tongue theme is so obvious, that's the opening line, right? And it kind of sets the tone. But the echoes um, I hear in this are the the Naomi naming herself mm, based on her experiences. Call me bitter because my experiences taste bitter in my mouth, mm, right? So mm. that's what I'm hearing in the echo of this word is her mm. declaration of being given bitterness. But that's a different story where she doesn't actually become sure. called that and actually goes back to Naomi at the end because the Lord brings sweetness to the bitterness. And you have a similar dimension here. What's the word for bitterness? Marah. Is that then in Meribah? Or is it related to the the place of... The, the, the place the, of the bitterness. rebellion, right? right. But it's and bitterness, mm -hmm. and again, that gets translated rebellion. Again, not wrong, but it's a it's a judgment call. Yeah. The place is actually named for, but it fits because they were they were bitter about food. They were <laughs> right. They were not only no, they were bitter about drink. So the drink right, right. itself was right. bitter, and the the waters that were right, flowing. Maribah was the water, not the manna. That's the waters 17, that were flowing were bitter. We just did that text like three, four weeks ago with Mandy. And yeah. then it reflects their attitude to what God was giving them. They were bitter about it. And God says, whoa, whoa, I can bring sweetness even to, into the most bitter of circumstances. And that's very visibly and uh, tastefully done in that passage. <laughs> tastefully. Well, this is good. Let's take a quick break and come back and uh, get into the, the meaning of the whole. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with uh, Daniel uh, Freemeyer, who's been on uh, before. Um, 
aka DJ Freemeyer, which I love. That's fun. And uh, we're looking at Isaiah 50, uh, verses 40 uh, through 9. 4 um, through 9. 40, sorry. Verses 4 through 9. Good correction. <laughs> Let's not turn away from this word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there a verse 40? I don't think so. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. So, uh, well, speaking of verse uh, numbers, there's uh, the one question. We don't talk about it every week. Um, it, it'll come up homiletically uh, as well as hermeneutically sometime but 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 it is a it is a fun interpretive question to spend some time on the the question of the the unit of thought as you know Lennox named it when he taught me you know the the, the boundaries of the text where where does it kind of start and end mm-hmm. right because there are some some commentators will will think of the the first three verses as connected a lot don't a lot break it for that's pretty consistent but then the relation but the role of 10 and 11 in here seems to be i at least noticed some questions around that like or is that a is that a new or- oracle is that a kind of addendum to this oracle you have any thoughts on that that would be helpful to us um so i i find it helpful to see the connections rather than the sure disjunctions oh of course within yeah. the text and so Alter actually divides it, the first three, separate from four through the rest of the chapter. Okay. And part of that is this uh, response where you get the um, – you get the – the divorce language and the judicial language mm. in the first part of the chapter. And then it shifts to this word, although I would argue it's still within this judicial language because oh, you get course, the making yeah. of justice and you get the yeah, and, oppression and it, and it's language. In a, and it's in a legal context that a word is reality. Yes. Right? <laughs> absolutely. And you get an It's accuser. only creators and judges who can make things with their mouth. Right? <laughs> yeah, so... <everybody> <laughs> Most w- – or those who stop it mid-nine, so like mid-verse in nine – Well, yeah, that was just silly, but – Are because the emphasis is on how you are helped, how the word helps, and less on the effects of the word, uh-huh. which come in verses 10 through 11 – Along with this, I would still argue, judicial situation where though there are people who can lean upon the Lord for help in their uh, attacks, and there are those who are, in essence, forming a sort of mob to Mm. uh, attack, and the result is lying down in pain. So, there is a judicial uh, tenor throughout that I think is helpful to point out. Yeah. But the, the difficulty in this section of Isaiah is with the, the, the word and then the response of whoever the I is and the language of the servant. How do you show those dimensions? Right. Being shifting it's from a bit of a dialogue, but it's hard Lord's, to identify the Lord's speech, the I speech, the servant speech. How do you weave all those together? Because they are woven together here. Yeah. And how do you distinguish them? Um, and that's the fun part about poetry. You have the sense in there which the Lord 
<laughs> the Lord and the I and the servant are all mingling together in this passage, which is why a lot of commentators see connections with Jesus, because you get the same thing yeah. in Jesus, where you have deity, servanthood, oh. preaching, all woven together. Nice. That, I can't help but, well, I'll look it up later, but it may, whether it appears in the, whether it's one of the readings for the lecture or not. So this is, this is the, one of the, this is the Old Testament text assigned for Passion Sunday slash Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. It's the last day of the season of Lent. So you're bringing us home with Lent. You're our finale guest. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, and again, apologizing as I did before we were on air uh, for pigeonholing you with, with these Isaiah texts. Although it's kind of fun to have you kind of come back. You did a bunch of Isaiah with us in Epiphany. So to kind of have you come home and come back, come back. And, um, but uh, I couldn't, I can't help. I hear some, the Christological connections, of course, but I also sense some resonance with Romans eight. When Paul in a form of a question says, you know, who can, you know, who can bring a case, you know, against the Lord's beloved, you know? Yes. Uh, only the Messiah, only the, you know? And then even, and it helps with even the language of justification there is this kind, it's vindication. Yes. Uh, it's this, it's the same as the Septuagint word for uh, bringer of justice. And I wonder. The one who justifies, the one who enacts justice for us. Yeah, I was wondering if uh, one of the reasons for at least the Revised Common Lectionary, whose boundaries I do not feel obliged to obey at all, it's just a starting point, um, <laughs> um, left it off at 9A because leaving it off at the question is is arresting in the context of of worship, you know? Yeah. So it's like there's always those choices we have to make about – like I always say like there's kind of like – there's the boundaries of a text in terms of just like what's manageable to get started, the kind of observation phase as it were. Right. Mm-hmm. And you, you all know this, this is for our listeners as much as it helps, but, and then, and then when you start interpreting, you need to kind of let those boundaries fall apart and let, <laughs> you know what I mean? Let the larger context make you question really, where does this start and end and actually start and end isn't the point. Cause there's always going to be connections before right. and after, like you were saying more, let it, it always let it but shape exactly how you perceive this text functioning, mm-hmm. because it's not saying who will uh, wrong me from the standpoint of therefore no one can bring an accusation against me. Mm. Right. And in Jesus's context, that wouldn't work either because he has accusations brought against him. Right. But these, these wronging cannot overcome the aid that the Lord is bringing. It's no match for it's a rhetorical question. Instead, Hmm. like a garment that is totally worn through and is easily consumed by a moth. It's going to fade away. But the work of the Lord will not fade away. Which parallels Isaiah 55, right? The, the word goes forth and, you know, doesn't fail. The, yes. the, 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 the grass withers, the flower fades, right? This is the attacks, the accusations, the oppression, the making the person weary, all of the hardships put on the people at this time. They're going to fade away, but the Lord's help will not. Yeah. And that happens with Christ as well. Christ is helped. Christ's face is hard as flint. 
set towards the path. And the Lord helps by raising him back to life. Yeah. And does it forever. <laughs> this isn't a, yeah. a passing and Christ is gone. Christ is aided by the Lord in something that lasts forever. And we can be as well. Mm -hmm. And this passage is saying the aid of the Lord is what lasts, not these accusations, these attempts to shame or oppress or attack. Yeah, you mentioned, this is random, but you mentioned the set my, I set my face like Flint and you sense that uh, pretty clear. There's probably a pretty, pretty direct allusion to this in Luke 9. Uh, late in Luke nine, when it talks about him setting his face on, yeah. on Jerusalem. Yeah. You know? Well, so he sets his face towards Jerusalem, mm -hmm. knowing that they are going to be accusing him. Right. Exactly. Attacking him just like this passage. But as he sets his face, he also knows that his face will not be consumed. And in this mm. passage, why is it Flint? Flint is something that fire cannot consume. Flint ah. starts the fire. It doesn't allow the fire, the torches that will show up at the end of the chapter, to consume it. Flint remains. And this uh, mm. the, this composer of this section says, my face is set as flint and it will not be consumed. Because I know the I, Lord will help I never me. knew the metaphorical power of flint. As set his face like Flint. It's one of those like stock phrases, mm. you know, and that it kind of has a kind of Marlboro man kind of vibe to it. Like, I, <laughs> but I never knew what Flint meant. Like why? I mean, I know what the word means, but I didn't sense, uh, you know, quasi uh, in the inflammability and the quasi indestructibility of it. It's but that it's also, so hard to destroy. Right. So to have your face set, right. like Flint is saying, nothing's going to knock me off this course, even though I'm, even though I'm entering into grave danger. Right. Which is how we use it, but I, I never kind of had a... And instead, there is a fire that is generated from the flint. Right. So, it's actually, it turns it around. And it turns it around, which any uh, person who is weary or oppressed or is needing justice can do and can turn the fire around and say, I'm going to last by the Lord's help. But these, this oppression, it's not going to last. It's going to be consumed by the fire. No wonder the early church called Isaiah the fifth gospel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or better still, the first gospel, right? But I mean, like the, the, uh, like the resonances are just so powerful. Which know? is why each and of the every, gospels use yeah. Isaiah. Yeah. And even that, that, that phrase that doesn't appear in the scriptures in a way captures the the spirit of the New Testament authors and their attitude towards Isaiah as right. kind of this sweet spot, you know, I think there are the other key. sweet spots and other sweet prophets. Oh but. yeah. No, none of this is an insult. It's just, you know, uh, the, the significance that I like, I mean, you and I've talked about how, like I haven't, especially for a Christian theologian, like my, my, my acquaintance with Isaiah is actually pretty low. Typically you find a, you know what I mean? Like I, I tend to camp out in, in less, uh, stereotypical places, but I don't get, you catch what I'm saying? Like there, cause there are stereotyped places. Like, you know, a lot of Christian theologians who like, they know their Psalms, they know their Isaiah and, but like, where's Ezekiel again? You know what I mean? Or where, <laughs> like, they don't, they're minor prophets, you know, like I took minor prophets in college with Lennox. And so like, I feel like I always had this, like, like, interest and engagement with the minors and i always felt so intimidated by the majors you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. just by their length and you know mm -hmm. um 
this passage itself may not be uh, too familiar for yeah, it's not as well known. Yeah, and and those who are hearing texts in in particular contexts today, unless there is this openness of the ear, yeah, to hear. The cries for justice and the uh, desire to withstand the weariness imposed upon someone. If you have experienced that, your ears are more open sense to uh, this the temptation to bitterness. This temptation to bitterness and um, this temptation to turn away from a word that isn't pleasant and isn't going to quickly resolve ah yeah the situation this section counsels uh, a time period in exile when the resolution is not quick when the accusations that are being placed last for years and the person uh who is counseled well during this time period here's a word that this is coming later. And right now, <sighs> you're not going to be delivered from the fires that are croaching around you, but you can withstand them. And that's a hard word in the midst of the attack, the oppression, the burdens, as you're feeling them and experiencing them in this moment. That's a hard word and one that can easily be, uh, we can close our ears too. Oh yeah. Immediately you catch the resonances in the kind of on at least sort of the total relevant context of this text, right? Includes at least kind of four, there's four particular receivers of this word or hearers of this word that, that come immediately to mind. One is the kind of original exilic kind of setting. The second is one we've already talked about of a, of of Christ's own life, right? And that skips over the the post-exilic time period where accusations were brought. Oh yeah, there's and the well, there's 43. I was going to list four. You can tell me the ones I'm missing <laughs> uh, <laughs> later. Uh, uh, not later, but immediately after I list them. Uh, cr- the way that this plays out in Christ's own life, and then the way it would happen in one's in an individual life. Right. Right. In the, in this time between the times and then in a kind of more sort of like for the whole church and its whole history to recognize that, you know, we don't know how long the Lord's going to tarry. You know what I mean? We, right. this generation may die off before, you know, we, uh, uh, see the resolution, this kind of bearing with unquick resolutions, which I'm glad I got to that fourth one. Cause it comes back to the, 1.2 you were mentioning, which is the, the fact that even after the return, eh, the exilic consciousness doesn't just go away, right? It's kind of, it's even, even the language of post-exilic is misleading because there's so much, so much of the, the struggles of exile persist right. in the time of return. Is that where I'm, where I heard you going or am I missing? Yes, absolutely. That this would have continued still- to have been heard as a hard word. Yeah, yeah. It, in the uh, many of <clears throat> biblical scholars have talked about the significance of the Persian and Greco time period, mm. 
as a formative time for these texts in which and the canonization of it even if it's all written before that it doesn't matter this is when it started to matter this (laughs) This is is the reception history of the text powerful word when you're feeling (laughs) attacked by all the neighbors around you like this group of returnees is may not have been well received actually during the exilic period it may have been (laughs) right that it it took it may have taken time to realize, man, we really need this word and we need it over and over again. Every generation needs exactly. this. Exactly. Right? This is why it's important. No matter what generation you're in. I mean, in the, in the recent past of yeah. Western societies, this is a powerful word. Uh, and Eastern societies as well. Like this is a powerful word for anyone in any time period to recognize the suffering that is persisting. Mm. We can withstand with the help of the Lord and open our ears to the suffering of others that are persisting, that perhaps we should stand together with them. Like the text says, let us stand together. Oh, that's great. Well, powerful word is a good uh, point to take a break and then come back and explore some sermon starters. Sounds great. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Dr. Daniel J. Freemeyer, uh, my uh, relatively frequent guest now. We've had you on quite a few times. appreciate it a ton. And we've been looking at Isaiah 50, uh, verses 1 through 9a. We just ignored that a. Uh, but <laughs> um, uh, 4 through 9. And it's time to explore some sermon starters. Where might we go with a text like this? We can We can start with thinking of this text as a as a as a jumping off point to preach the Sunday before Easter. Yeah. But well, we don't have to stay there because this is evergreen. People can listen to this 6 months from now and when they're wanting to preach on in a series on Isaiah or whatever. So we don't have to be locked in by that, but that can be at least a jumping off point. Uh, I think a a great place to start is the experience of a pastor looking ahead towards a passion week that is busy, that yeah. is full of activity, that is going to leave the pastor weary. Yeah. And yet, in verse 4, it says, this word that the Lord is giving wakes you up in the early part of the morning uh. and can open your ear in that early part of the morning and help you withstand throughout the week. If Hmm. you accept the word, you don't grow bitter. You don't turn back from all of the things that are coming or the expectations you have. And you give your back for whatever striking will happen that week. You give your cheeks for whatever plucking is going of hair from your cheeks that is going to occur. This is something that Alter helps with. He talks about this phrase being used in pulling the beard. Yeah. Something that just hurts your face. Ouch. Rips, <laughs> rips something off of your body. And as a pastor or a preacher, you can feel that this week. Emotions are high. Um, the experiences of people are uh, perhaps more overt as people are trying to deal with things in their lives and and situations that are occurring that can feel out of control 
And are you willing to not turn back from any type of opposition? And are you willing to put your face out there, even if it's going to be defaced Mm. and spit upon? And are you willing to pronounce that word for your listeners as well? That's a hard word to give to your listeners. Which means you. But Passion Week is full of hard words, like Jesus setting his face to be slashed and cut and whipped. Jesus did this and makes it possible for us to see how we can do it too. We can put our face out there and let it be hit around. (laughs) Yeah. And know that God is the one who helps us. God is the one who will bring us justice. God is the one who will uphold our cause. God will stand together with us. God will not let us be humiliated or shamed. God is near. Even when we're attacked. Yeah. Is God really with us? It's the question that the Israelites were accused of asking in Exodus 17. Right. You know, is God really near? And to, to have confidence of the nearness of God, even in the midst of the. And I think it's powerful to ask that question <laughs> to in, in a certain, in the sermon itself, like this lends itself to that question. Is mm-hmm. God near? Right. Like you mentioned, but it also lends itself to the question, how is God near you? Uh-huh. Because in this text, God is near as a whisper in the ear ah. in the early mornings. Yeah. And not as a mighty warrior yeah. or king coming yeah. with fury. If that's in the cards, it's coming later. It's coming later. <laughs> right. Good. So, and maybe we wonder. I always like to talk about how there's the kind of abstract truth of divine omnipresence, right? So is God near? Well, in some abstract sense, well, yes, of course, by his nature, but that's not what we're asking when we're asking. It's we're asking, like you say, how is God present? Not whether God is present. Actually, whether God is present is an uninteresting question in a way. It's, it's, it's how it's in what mode and to what end, right? And what manner. And that, of course, very much fits. And how do we want God to be present? Do we want God to just make all of the suffering and quick resolution go away? Or are we willing to accept a God who gives a word and nothing more? Yeah. Boy, turn the other cheek has a whole like depth dimension when it's kind of intertext with, with this one, right? Right. It's it's an invitation into a, a, a whole way of life and perspective rather than just a kind of arbit, you know, a kind of arbitrary command, turn the other cheek or God will be mad at you for, or God will slap you for not being, you know what I mean? Like if it's just a, a bear, uh, a bear command, right. Without a bear command, it actually makes you bear. If you have hair right, 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 right. right. <laughs> on your face. Um, uh, this is what Alter brings out when he says, uh, the phrase is plucked my beard is implied because of the reference to the cheeks and the, and the pulling of the cheeks. And this is a long tradition of Christian interpretation Mm. that refers to Christ. Mm -hmm. So he makes that connection with Christ, 
with the mocking, the insulting, the roughing. But what's important to recognize is Christ also gives this instruction to the ears of his disciples to say, if you're my disciple, you'll be willing to turn your cheek and let them pluck the other side. Yeah. This is suddenly hitting like, it's hitting me like, obviously you can have lots of metaphors running in a sermon, but it tends, it tends to work well to have like your baby, right? The kind of the, the, the hook. Right. And I, and I was, I was drawn to, and, and a lot, there's just a lot of body talk, right? So tongue with bitterness, um, but the ear and the waking up, right. Striking the back and the striking of the backside plucking and of the, the plucking cheeks. of the beard Face, and defacing the face. face. Yes. So this is kind of, I, here's a sermon that's kind of brewing in me is kind of a, like, really leaning into that and 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 it could start out it could it, it, not not necessarily start but at some point it could even have a little bit of humor i mean i could totally see like um i, I can't help but think of that uh that scene in uh what's that movie called it's i can't remember the title but but uh with steve carell and he gets like the hair ripped off of his <laughs> like the <laughs> He just screams and it's, pain. So, it's so funny, but it's uh, like, you know, it hurts, right? Even funny. though it's funny, but the, the humor actually can loosen you up to kind of, to really, you know, uh, and like actually then to go through and I could see really doing some embodied practice, even with a, a congregation, right. To really go through and kind of talk about the tongue and actually even invite people if they want to even touch their own tongue and kind of. And, and do some meditating on the meaning here. And you could even do what we were talking about. You could think of like, you could associate different hearers, you know, mm. the, the tongue of this, of this original, you know, servant who, you know, whoever this was, uh, you know, uh, and, and then what's the next one is the ear. You could turn to the ear of those who would have heard this preached 200 years later and still kind of felt like they were in exile, even mm-hmm. though they were back home. Mm-hmm. And then you could go to the back, the back and maybe talk about Christ there. Right. <laughs> and the, 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 the whipping, which is a familiar image. And then you would turn and to then, the cheeks and then the cheeks, you know, perhaps for us and then maybe face for someone else who suffers hmm. that I might, you know, to see the face yes. of the other, that's a little, little Levinas slipped in there. Right. So you could really yeah. do the, the different meanings, the different applications of the text by linking it. And then it ends up still being kind of expositional, right. Mm-hmm. Through those opening. And that's all the kind of first half of the sermon. And then you get the turn in seven and you can then move into the hope that is offered, but the, the, the unique, the mo the kind of hope this is, right. It's not, Oh, now the cheeks are going to feel okay. It's, it's while the it's being pulled, you know, and you can even think of, I'm thinking of the, the, the Deuteronomy, you know, the kind of word is on your tongue, <laughs> right? <laughs> word is on the tongue, you know, and you could go through and talk about how the, you know, the word of God, you know, and maybe it'd be a word from, the you know maybe a song that's sung that day or whatever or or the gospel reading or whatever you could have a word that you repeat you know you know um there is no condemnation or something like that right romans 8 on the tongue and then Rome, no condemnation you know on the in the ears no condemnation you know or on the back can, no con- you know you yes. could you could re and it, there it'd be good my to lord, do the same word again and again right? my lord is there to help me 
Yeah, it'd be that. That would be the word. You're right. <laughs> my Lord is there to help me, right? That that could be the refrain because it does talk about or, the aid multiple times. I, I also kind of like eight, though. Near. Because then near, near makes me think again of Deuteronomy 8. My Lord Two, is near. The the word is not far away. Don't go. What what? Don't think it's up on a mountain or across the sea. Word right. is near you. It is in your mouth, right, and in your ear, in your hand, right. So to and to have that word constantly be the refrain in the midst of the body parts, I think, is a beautiful part. It's a beautiful uh, pedagogical uh, technique that can be used in a sermon, and the body can actually bring it home as well. And I'm thinking of the power in uh, in in books like uh, Melissa Raphael's The Female Face of God in Auschwitz, where she talks about the bodies of the people in Auschwitz, the women in Auschwitz, the faces, and how they withstood so much, even while their clothes were shredded or stripped from them. They withstood so much. Mm. And in this passage, the body continues to last thanks to the help of the Lord, whereas the clothes wear mm. out, right? Right. The and body even the clothes the, thing. Even the oppression of the – it's the oppression of those who are bringing this, these disputes and these burdens and these uh, – the suffering or uh, the busyness or the the – hectic job or all of that that wears away like clothes yeah so the weariness i didn't even think about how weary oh even in english weary is linked with wear wear and tear but you wear yes. clothes there's oh, a play on words there i didn't even realize that him who is weary all who are weary and heavy laden come to me and i will give you rest and take my yoke and your cross, my yoke and your cross <laughs> upon you and learn from me. But it's light, right? Yep. Well, if you have no clothes, <laughs> that is a yeah. light. That or also could light. be translated fitting. It's a fitting yoke. It's the yes. right size. It's the right size. It's not going to, it's not going to chafe. <laughs> uh, the world and what it's putting on you is going to chafe, right? But, but I'm not going to add to that, uh, but I'm going to be with you. Yes. Right. And you can even think of the, the word itself. Well, a word isn't necessarily heavy. It, it can weigh on us, but it's not a heavy word. It's hmm. a light word. That's it's a good point. Just right there on your, on your tongue. You may not like it, but a word in your mouth doesn't have any physical weight to it. So it's a light yoke that you can put on. Yeah, I love this. I I love the shape of this sermon that we're cooking. You know, it's got a natural kind of Lowry loop, right? It kind of gets harsher, you get heavier and heavier maybe as you go, or at least more personal. And then the suffering of others, that's even more terrible. And then as it turns, it doesn't, it's not an easy resolution. It's, it's recognizing it's the word, not that all just goes away. It's the bearing of the word right. in the face of all this. And which can actually be rather freeing. Yeah. Right. Because it's not, what have I done to fix all of this or where the heck is God with fixing? Cause it, cause of course, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, in the post exilic period, there's an, there's enough passages in these prophets that people may have mistook it to mean, uh, everything's just going to be perfect now, <laughs> now that we're back. Right. I mean, I'm not blaming the prophets, but I'm saying like, you could see how that, that take on the promise 
you know, could have emerged enough that then these texts became so crucial. In fact, there may have been, we don't, maybe we don't have the texts anymore, but there may have been other prophets running around saying similar things, but only as we're going to come back and it's all going to be perfect. Right. And to have, you know, Isaiah, especially quote second Isaiah laying out. No, it's not, it's not at all kind of totally wrapped up. There's still much to face. Um, well, we don't need to look to that abstract or hypothetical time period in the past to look to today in the prophets today that say it's all going to be great. Yep. It's, <laughs> well, let's, that's exactly where I was going, Dan. <laughs> I could, I could anticipate that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the trick is sometimes pointing it out in the it, there and then as this strange thing that's like you say abstract, but then you can turn around and say, guess what? That's actually pretty dang familiar, right? right. <laughs> we know what that's like. If only we enacted this policy or right. this yep. economic relief or this uh, protection, then mm. this, then our bodies would be great. Yeah. And that's not the case. Near is my, the language of near when it's connected to the body has a deeper power, you know? Yeah. Near is my vindicator. How do you like that for for the word? Or would you you had near is my bringer of justice? Well, the word justice is, is tzedakah, which yeah. is connected with justice. But then justifier doesn't work for right. It does it, real well for us though, because of the way we used to. It, it sounds religious to some people. It, sounds, it does. You know, yes, in the in the fullest sense of justification, I just it wanted, works. It's perfect. But, but then you have to – that needs to be explained. Yeah. So some of that's the context of the church you're, you're speaking to. Yeah, so it's – it's uh, not that we'd have to say it in the original, but it's so short that I'd like to find something short in mm-hmm. English for our word. You know, what is it? Ka- so, ka'ov, ma – oh, mats. What is it? Mats di ki? Mats di ki. Matsdiki, much better. Thank My you. justice bringer. Justice bringer. That's shorter. <laughs> that worked better for me. It's vindicator. I like justice bringer. Near is my. I'm writing it down because I like it. Justice bringer. Who will dispute me? That's, yep. Or bring a dispute against me. Mm. If. My justice bringer is near me. Whoever does it is actually bringing the accusation against him. The justice bringer. Not the best idea. Man. And talk about, I mean, the Romans eight resonances are just screaming, you know, like who's going to, because it's even laid out. Not that, not that I have to go to the new Testament or something to work, but um, (laughs) feel free to call me out when I do that. But. Oh, but, I uh, think I think Paul it, it is well done. versed exactly. in these when you, texts. When you hear when you think of it as Paul as a commentator on the scriptures, then it works just fine. Um, but I mean, he 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 puts it as a question, right? This is this is Romans eight verse uh, you know thirty one. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? I mean, that's almost (laughs) verbatim, you know? It is God who rectifies, justifies, vindicates, right? The one who vindicates. And who is to condemn? 
same verb from the opening line. Same verb. No condemnation. Who is to condemn? Well, the Messiah, Jesus, who died. And more than that, he was raised and is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine? It can't separate us because the word. Or nakedness. Or <laughs> That's nakedness. Even, it's right there. It's right there. None of that can separate us from a God who can speak a word through anything that we're facing. Yeah. The word can come right to us yep. and be near to us. Dude, well, that is a good word. And I wasn't being punny. I really mean it. Thank you. Well, this conversation, um, it touched my heart today. Um, so thank you so much for sharing. Well, praise it. the Lord God for these yeah. word, this word and may the word uh, be near to us mm -hmm. during the uh, Passion Week. Yeah. Well, thanks as always to all our listeners. Thanks most of all to God. And all that he does. Thanks for the ministry uh, of Todd and Eric who do the, the great production work. Can't imagine doing this without them. Thanks uh, also to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And thanks, uh, thanks, Dan. <laughs> and uh, thanks be to God. Amen. Have a good preach and a great week. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>